welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Beyond the Crucible. When you burn your ships, it's a tough journey. You're leaving behind something that you kind of love doing or you wouldn't have been doing it for as long as you did or you like doing it or it was comfortable doing it. So your head and your heart really have to be aligned as you set your ships ablaze and you head for a new port. You've got to do the inner work. You've called it soul work before in other contexts, but that is really critically important. Why is that so important? To be able to move forward, you've got to really first uh, move inside, do that inner work. Just really understand who you are. That, listener, is just a taste of the discussion Warwick and I have on this, the ninth and final episode of our special winter, now into spring, series, Burn the Ships. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. That snippet you just heard was from one of the five key truths we learned from the seven guests we interviewed during the two-month run of the series. Truths we've distilled into the latest blog at beyondthecrucible.com. Our goal is to help you walk away, maybe sail away is a better way to put it, from the series with critical takeaways to help you decide whether it's time for you to burn some ships, and if it is, to give you some guidance on how and when to strike the match. And you'll want to be sure, more than ever, that you stick around till the end of the show, because that's when we'll give you all the details you need about the opportunity we're offering for you to be personally coached by Warwick as you look to board the boat that takes you from, is this all there is, to this is all I've ever wanted. This is one of those episodes, listener, that the, the, the I guess I'm the host now and Warwick's the guest. So that's kind of <laughs> interesting. Um, I'm going to be kind of guiding us through this conversation. Here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to revisit the, the beats of every story of every guest because those those episodes are available at WeOnTheCrucible.com. You can find all those episodes if you've missed one. What we're going to do is extract some some key learnings that we can pass along to you that our guests shared with us about what it means to burn your ships, how you go about doing it, if you should do it, the circumstances under which you should do it, all of those uh, things. And so the, the place that we want to start to level set this whole conversation is what does burn the ships mean anyway? Why did we do uh, now a, a nine part series um, on burning the ships? What does that mean? And why is that important to do? And here's, um, here's, and I did this, I did this on purpose because, well, it's the Cambridge dictionary and I know Warwick loves the Cambridge dictionary. <laughs> so the definition for burning the ships rather than Webster, the definition from the Cambridge dictionary about burning the ships is this, this idiom is described as this. If you are in a situation and you burn your boats slash bridges or ships, you destroy all possible ways of going back to the situation that you've left. It's a pretty fair summary of both the, the idiom and also the stories of, of the guests that we've talked to in the series, right? I have to confess, it really is, as listeners may know, uh, I went to Oxford, so it would be easy for me to 
challenge the Cambridge uh, definition, but it's actually in all fairness a pretty decent definition, uh, even if it is from the Cambridge <laughs> Dictionary. Uh, so, uh, but um, yeah, I mean, there's this notion in history that sometimes uh, one country, whether it's the Vikings or what have you, would go over to another country and want to conquer them and lay siege and as a way of uh, motivating the troops. It's like, well, we are going to burn the ships because there's no going back. There's no retreat. We are here for the long haul. And um, uh, that is a very interesting image. It's the sense that uh, I've made a, almost an irreversible decision to move forward, to change from one direction in my life to a fundamentally uh, different direction. I'm burning the ships. I'm not going back. I've made this kind of irrevocable line in the sand uh, decision that we're moving forward, we're not going back. So it's a graphic image, but it's I think it's a very helpful and profound image too. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of thing that it 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 guards you against metaphorically as you change direction and you pivot in your life. And we'll talk about the our criteria for the guests that we chose here. But the it helps guard against sort of fleeing back to the familiar, right? In the context of something that you're trying, uh, the very definition, and we talk about it all the time on the show. The very the very pursuit of a second act, the very pursuit of moving beyond your worst day, um, having your tragedy become a triumph. The, that very process it can be difficult, can be can feel overwhelming. There's lots of points along the way where you feel like. You've said it many times. Your phrase is lying in bed with the, you know, the covers over your head. Burning your ships metaphorically helps you keep moving forward and not going backward, right? You have a choice to either uh, just stay there under the covers or how do you move forward? How do you use your brokenness to help others? How do you find a positive way forward? And that's really a choice. It's a decision of the will. And so burning the ships is kind of akin to that choice. You're making a decision, I'm going to move forward in a different direction of, uh, of my life. I'm not going to you know, wallow in my cubicle saying like, I hate my life, hate my job, hate my boss. You know, one can spiral down at times. Um, say, well, okay, life isn't ideal, but how can I move forward? Maybe there's a different direction. So that, that choice, that active decision, which might entail a hundred or a thousand different steps that comes from that decision, that choice, that decision of the will is really a similar concept to burning the ships. Right. And the, the, that's a great segue into the criteria we used in picking guests, searching for guests for the show. And one of the things we did in the series um, is that the, the title of every series was from what they did in the old ships to what they're doing now in their new ships. And I'm just going to run through um, in a minute, this is the preview, wait for it, it's coming, uh, of what those, those from this to this moments are. But what we looked for in the guest to get to that place was guests who have, this is how I described it in every episode as shown on YouTube, guests who have been brave enough to make dramatic pivots leaving behind safe and familiar lives to do something dramatic, new, life-changing, and significant, facing down and overcoming crucibles along the way. And that description 
fits every one of our seven guests. The eighth guest was Warwick, kind of, and we'll get to that in a minute. But here's the stories, the from two stories. We're not going to unpack, as I said, every one of every beat of the stories. But here's the kind of the dramatic pivots that we're talking about in our episodes from music to lifestyle brand entrepreneur, from chasing success to embracing intentionality. I love this one. From doctor to actor, very simple and very straightforward. From biomedical engineer to reality TV show adventurer. From drug dealer to entrepreneur and mentor. And then these two are kind of flip sides of each other, which was fun the last couple episodes we had. From corporate executive to ministry president. And then we go from ministry executive to corporate CEO. Those stories do indeed, right? They're all, they are all about, they've been brave enough to make dramatic pivots, leaving behind safe things and moving on to things that aren't quite so safe. And that's one of the reasons because they're not so safe. That's one of the reasons that burning the ships metaphorically is so important in those pursuits, isn't it? It really is. I mean, each of those people that we had made bold, brave, life-defining choices. So we could pick any one of the seven guests we had, and they made bold, brave, uh, in some cases you could say risky, but, uh, you know, risky with a purpose and, you know, with a belief behind it, bold choices to shift from their former lives to a new life, and each of them in different ways want to lead what we call a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. Right. There was some altruism in different ways, different forms, all of those uh, guests that we had. So that it, was, it was a brave and bold decision to pivot. And just the titles you read, it just makes it very clear that this wasn't a safe choice. None of those folks made safe choices. They made very bold and brave choices. And when you're burning your ships, that metaphor should indicate it is a bold and brave choice. It really is. It's not for the faint of heart. Indeed. And one of the reasons that we're doing this episode as a wrap-up is that we have a blog at beyondthecrucible.com, uh, which I wrote, uh, which summarizes, again, not so much the stories of each guest, but the learnings from what Warwick just described as that very, that very un- not safe uh, but bold choice, uh, sometimes risky choice to pivot from this to that. Um, and we're going to unpack in a, in just a few minutes here, we're going to unpack five key learnings from that. The title of the blog is called Thinking of Burning Your Ships? Question mark. Here are five truths to make for smoother sailing. So we want to empower you, listener, with the best counsel and wisdom from our guests about how they indeed pivoted burned their ships and moved into a, a, a different adventure than the one that they were sailing on before. The first one of those truths, I don't know about you, for me, if I were, were to ask, what was the biggest thing, the biggest aha or the biggest, you know, sort of hit you upside the head, I hadn't thought about that before, was this one, the first point, and that is to beware of toxic persistence. When I just hearing the phrase made me go, huh, what does that mean? And when our guest who said that Mike Beckham spoke about it, it really did uh, have an impact on me. So talk a little bit about 
toxic persistence, what Mike was talking about when he said it, and what the value uh, is for listeners to to kind of do exactly that, beware of toxic persistence. Yeah, I mean, Mike Beckham was a very interesting guy. Uh, he's sort of an entrepreneur at heart, but for a variety of reasons. He started out working for a faith-based uh, nonprofit crew and intending to just do it for a year while his you know, wife was finishing up at University of Oklahoma and ended up being there for 10 years. And because he's a you know driven, highly intelligent, and caring person, he you know rose up the ranks to you know various levels of leadership. And then I think with his brother, he uh, was involved in a uh, a startup that uh, kind of didn't work before getting into Simply Modern. And really, uh, what Mike was talking about, toxic persistence means you keep going no matter what. Sometimes in a business, like especially startups, I mean, the vast majority of startups fail. Sometimes there's a point at which, you know, this isn't going to work. The market's not there. I don't have the right people or I can't find the right people or I'm not the right person. Uh, the economy's tanking. There's all sorts of reasons why things don't work out. And so toxic persistence means I'm going to keep going no matter what. And um, that was... Um, probably one of the most haunting phrases for me because there was a time for me in the takeover, as I mentioned, uh, the $2.25 billion takeover I launched in Australia in 1987 and my family's large media company. Uh, you know, I felt like the company wasn't being well run. I run along with the deals that I found and my dad had died earlier in 87. And you know, I've talked about this obviously fairly often. But what I haven't talked about as much is yeah, it was very difficult. Family members sold out. October 87 stock market crash hurt our asset sale program. So by later in the year of 1987, things were not looking good. We, we, looked, we looked like we were right. going to have an unsustainable level of debt. And the smart play might have been to figure out a way to back out, which would have been obviously humiliating and uh, you know, financially, you know, I'm not sure, but it would have been... Um, wouldn't have looked that good. But I, I remember thinking at the time, maybe even saying, there are no breakpoints. There right. is no quitting. We are going to move forward no matter what. And I have very, if not extremely high levels of persistence, which sometimes, maybe often, can be good. Sometimes your greatest strength can be your greatest flaw, or you know, one of my strengths, I guess you'd say. Now, one could debate whether I really could have backed out. And, you know, uh, there's one legal advisor said, no, you really can't because of, was that advice good or bad? You know, one can debate the intricacies of it. But irrespective of legal advice as to whether it was possible or not, once I'd made that formal tender offer for the shares, there's no question that emotionally, psychologically, you know, quitting was not an option. It was not right. an option, no matter what, pretty much. And there are reasons for a family legacy. All that's to say is toxic persistence, you know, you've got to know when to, when it's time to quit. Sometimes it's time to say, you know what, this isn't working out. And it's not a matter of just effort. It's just for a variety of reasons. The smart play is to quit this particular avenue and move to some other avenue. So it really was a haunting and profound discussion. Yeah, it. I call it uh, the Kenny Rogers rule. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away and know when to run. Uh, but all of that to say, that does not mean that your burn the ships effort that led you to that place 
is negative or is shot. There are more than one. Um, you can burn a second set of ships. It's not a one and done, as we say a lot at Beyond the Crucible. Things aren't a one and done. It's not a one and done. You can, if you've burned one set of ships, you can, if the next set of ships isn't sailing in the right direction, isn't doing what you want to accomplish, um, it, it is it, to stick in it is toxic. You can burn that set too and then move on. That's what Mike Beckham did. And he's found great success applying some of the same principles that he had used before, but in a different context. So I think that's important to let people know that, that recognizing that persistence can be toxic doesn't mean that, uh, it's a bad idea to burn the ships if you think about it in the right way. This is one of the quotes Mike said when we talked to him about this, this idea at work. He said, persistence in the wrong context is more destructive than anything else, uh, which is true. And, and you can get away from persistence. You can burn the persistence ship, if you will, as you move on to find what that next act is for you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. In the, it's very well said in the context of Mike Beckham, he tried, you know, a couple of businesses, uh, a couple uh, startup ventures after he left uh, Crew, the faith-based uh, nonprofit ministry before getting into Simple Modern. And one of them in particular just didn't work out. He didn't mean he didn't want to be an entrepreneur and start a business. Right. He did. Right, right, right. You know, and so he started one. It was very successful and he started it based on a set of uh, values, in particular, uh, having a spirit of uh, generosity. They say, you know, we, you know, we exist to give generously. It was start with a set of principles, and then what is it we're going to do together? In this case, producing, uh, uh, you know, water bottles and flasks and that kind of thing, which is a whole other discussion. But it wasn't giving up and being an entrepreneur. It was just being an entrepreneur in that particular business didn't work out. So let's right. quit that and move to an avenue that has more chance of success. So he he didn't really stop being an entrepreneur. He just pivoted to a different business. So you know that's I think the the nuance. It's important to state. He took his ships into a different waterway to continue our metaphor. Um, another great. Um, learning and it, it's one that that has the has the greatest pool of guests around it in the blog at uh, beyondthecrucible.com and that, that is lean into your passion three guests that we talked to in various ways talked about how they leaned into their passion when they decided to burn their ships why is that so important we talk the word we say more than crucible, almost as much as crucible at Beyond the Crucible is passion. You talk about it all the time. Why is it important, so important, if you're contemplating setting fire to your ships to lean into your passion as you head off to the next set of ships? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, when you change from one career to another, if you're bouncing back from a crucible from your worst day and you know, we all, we all talk about as you move forward, you want to lead a life of significance, which again, we talk about as a life on purpose, dedicated to serving others. It's got to be, yes, as we say, in line with your design and values and beliefs, but you've got to be off the charts passionate about. Life mm -hmm. is tough. There will be setbacks. Life requires persistence and perseverance. And so you've got to have a sense of, you know what, this is important. I'm passionate about it. This is not just about me. It's about helping others, helping the planet. You know, we'll figure out a way to, um, you know, to move forward. Each of these guests, in a, in different ways, they lent into their passion. Passion 
greatly in chance it uh, increases your chance of success. Uh, passion motivates you, it motivates others. Passion fuels the very needed perseverance you'll have to cope with the inevitable setbacks. So passion is absolutely crucial to bouncing back from a crucible and certainly pivoting to your second act. Yeah, and one of the guests who that's his story is Darwin Shaw, um, the from doctor to actor. And uh, what one of the things that Darwin said about that, I mean, think about that decision. Doctors, right? The the apex of success. You know, you're there's there's money attached to it. There's impact. There's you're making a difference. But he felt called to this pursuit of the creative arts. Um, and, and he wanted, and he then went and enrolled in acting school and he now lives in Hollywood and, you know, he's not had the breakthrough role that has catapulted him to the A-list, but he's still going after it. He's had some great meaty roles. He's an excellent, excellent actor and he's still after it. But here's what he said to encourage you listener, as you, as you, as you contemplate this learning of, lean into your passions. This is what Darwin Shaw said. If you can home in on what is truthful for you and follow that, I don't think you're ever going to regret it. Those are words that come from a man who was on track to be an orthopedic surgeon, who by now would probably have his own practice and a lot more zeros in his bank account at this, on this very day. And yet he's got uh, just fulfillment and and significance in his heart, not only from his acting, but he, he started an effort, the antiviral film project to uh, to encourage um, filmmakers of all stripes to make films about the pandemic and, and how we coped with it. Um, that idea of you're never going to regret it if you follow your passions. That's a huge motivator, I think, to get the matchbook out, isn't it? It really is. I mean, what's fascinating about Darwin Shaw is his fundamental beliefs, values, and motivation has not changed. There was no pivot from the fundamental of what dr what drives Darwin Shaw. He, he always had this social consciousness. He grew up in uh, the north of England and Britain, of uh, Middle Eastern, uh, I believe, uh, Pakistani heritage, which you know back then was uh, was not easy. But he and his family just had the sense that we're put on this earth to give back, to help our community, help our neighbors, just help those um, those in need. And so uh, being a doctor, obviously, uh, that makes sense in the sense of you're, you're helping to heal people. Uh, that definitely fulfills the sense of social consciousness. But that's a relatively safe job. I mean, it pays well, and you know, given the way he grew up, that was uh, certainly would have been different than than he grew up. Um, so uh, that made a lot of sense. But yeah, he just felt like when he learned about acting and went to a class in New York one time, that this was really what he was called to do. He just right. felt this overwhelming passion, and that was a massive burn the ships moment. I mean, you go you know, through medical schools, you know, for years, it's, you know, not cheap typically, and it requires massive amounts of hours and effort. And he was on the track. He was bright, uh, motivated, intelligent. To quit that, to be an actor, which is 
you know, there's no certainty of success in acting. Right. And there's a lot it, of people who want to do it. Well, there is. And look, he's had some degree of success. You know, he's in, played Peter in the Bible miniseries and, you know, has been in Marvel and, you know, was, uh, you know, in James Bond as a, um, as you know better than I do, in a, right. a small, uh, small role there, but uh, impactful. So it was very courageous, but his, his values has always been about social consciousness. And as you mentioned, the Antiviral Project, uh, which seeks to bring filmmakers from throughout the world telling meaningful stories. His social consciousness values and beliefs and mission, that hasn't changed. It just pivoted from one direction, from one ship set of ships to another set of ships. Right. Uh, but it was a massive burn the ships moment that took a huge amount of courage and was just driven by his passion, as you say. Yeah, and when I think about Darwin's uh, story and the stories of the other two guests who fit into this category of lean into your passions, Aaron Eddy and uh, Joel Hungate, uh, it was funny as we were as I was prepping for this uh, this uh, conversation, Warwick. I, I remembered something I hadn't thought of in gosh eighteen years. Um, I went to a conference one time headed by an author named um, John Eldridge, who had written a book called uh, A Wild at Heart. And it was all about getting in touch with your heart and pursuing those things. Uh, and I remember what he said, and I wrote it down on this on this sticky note. I wrote it down so I didn't forget it. And I'm paraphrasing it, but I think I got it pretty close because it's been stuck up here for 18 years. Don't try to figure out what the world needs. Figure out what brings your heart alive, because what the world needs are people whose hearts are alive. That is a gold-plated truth, and it's a gold-plated truth that was lived out by Aaron Eddy, our guest, by Darwin Shaw, our guest, and by Joel Hungate, our guest, right? Yeah, that is a incredible. I, th I might have heard that. I'm not sure, but I think that is, that is incredibly wise. Um, Figure out, you know, rather than focusing on what the world needs, figure out what lights your, you know, uh, heart on fire. Because, you know, you will find a way to use that to mm -hmm. um, help the world and find an area that the world does need. So it that makes so much sense, you know, really looking for those moments when your heart bega begins to sing, your heart begins to soar. Each of those guests, we talked about Darwin Shaw with Erin Eddy, you know, she was licensing music in, the, in, in that whole area. And she started uh, spray painting uh, yeah. some T-shirts with the word So Worth Loving and just sent it out to some of her customers, supporters, and just people in her network. And it just took off. She just had this sense that so many of us feel like that we're not worth loving. You know, sometimes in our worst moments, maybe we feel like our worthless. Not always, but there's different days when we feel low to different levels. And that just took off. And she changed from a musical career to one where she's just got this life-affirming message. But when when she got the feedback from other people saying, Aaron, I love that. That is helping me so much. It made her heart soar. It made her heart right. sing. She knew this was... Uh, this was for me. Joel Hungate's story was was pretty different. He was a biomedical engineer, and his mother committed suicide. Who was the last person you would ever uh, think would commit suicide? Because she was full of life, person of faith. She even joked about it. Hey, you ever 
if you think that happens, it won't, it won't, it won't be the reason because I'm just full of life. So that was just devastating and you know, mental health is, is complex. Well, he ended up being on the Outlast sort of survivor type show on Netflix and doing adventure readiness. And his mother, I think his final, you know, her final words to him was like, just do it. In other words, if there's some adventure, I think he was thinking of climbing a mountain in uh, Mongolia. Yeah. He, he just, this sense of adventure and using adventure as a way of helping people feel motivated to have, lead a high, healthy lifestyles and eating and exercise, giving them a fun goal, uh, even if it's a tough goal. Each of those other people, including Darwin Shaw, Aaron Eddy, and Joel Hungate, they lent into their passion at critical moments in their life. And yeah, they're, they're tremendous examples. And when you see, right, you're in the water, you see on the horizon your passions fulfilled. You see how you how your passions can come into reality. It makes it, I mean, yeah, we've talked about it's tough to burn the ships, but it makes it far, far more likely and far easier on you emotionally, circumstantially to strike that match and light those ships ablaze. Yeah, that is so profound because one of the things I've found is when, like I'm sure with Aaron Eddy, when you've got those first few people saying, Aaron, this is helping to change my life. So worth loving. It's what a wonderful reminder. You know, she created a community around that. That creates not just perseverance, but it creates a flywheel of hope, a flywheel of passion and encouragement. And it draws people in, almost like a centrifuge. People are drawn in by the, the passion and the change in people's lives. So passion can not just fuel perseverance, but it can fuel a, uh, a flywheel of passion, hope, and encouragement that can increase your creativity and just pull people in. Pull people in. So it's, yeah, that, um, that absolutely certainly happened with Aaron Eddy. I've just determined that if we ever get a house band, like on The Tonight Show, um, for <laughs> Beyond the Crucible, that house band, we have to call it Flywheel of Hope. <laughs> because I think, right, that's what we talk about all the time. Your last question to guests all the time is, what's a message of hope for listeners? And that is indeed what we've just been talking about. What this whole episode is, we hope, is a message of hope, a flywheel of hope for you. Third point in the blog at beyondthecrucible.com uh, called Thinking of Burning Your Ships? Question mark. Here are five truths to make for smoother sailing. Number three in that blog is do the inner work. It's that kind of thing, Warwick, there. It, it's a it's a tough journey. When you burn your ships, it's a tough journey. You're leaving behind something that you kind of love doing or you wouldn't have been doing it for as long as you did or you like doing it or it was comfortable doing it. So your head and your heart really have to be aligned as you set your ships ablaze and you head for a new port. You've got to do the inner work. You've called it soul work before in other contexts, but that is really critically important. Why is that so important? To be able to move forward, you've got to really first uh, move inside, do that inner work. Mm. Just really understand who you are. And so, you know, if you don't deal with the inner work, the inner, uh, the inner soul, 
it it will make it much more difficult to be successful, to accomplish your dreams, to, to lead a life of significance. To be able to care for others, you've got to care for yourself. You remember when you're on an airplane, if you know you have small kids, right. the flight attendants will always say, before putting the uh, marks on your young children, put it on yourself first. Because if you can't breathe, how can you help your kids to breathe? You can't. I mean, that's really a life and death, or can be a life and death situation uh, under certain circumstances. So to be able to help others, you've got to help yourself. And one of the other sad factors of life is, um, you know, uh, if there are things you've got inside of you that haven't been dealt with, toxic emotions, which can be from growing up, they have a habit of leaking. And that can leak in the form of anger and negative emotions. And typically, you take those that anger and negative emotions out on the people you love the most, the people who are closest to you. That's not right. fair or right, but that happens about, I wouldn't even say 90% of the time, 100% of the time. So why should you do the inner work? Your family, your friends deserve for you to do the inner work. They're worth it. They're worth the effort. So yeah, I can't stress too strongly not just for business and career and pivoting to your second act, but just for your family, your own sanity and, and life. That inner work is so crucial. And, and we so often, we don't do it because it's hard, it's scary, and it's often excruciatingly painful. But, yeah. you know, it's like, gee, I'm not going to go get that operation because it's going to be painful and the recovery is going to be awful. Okay, but it's going to be a lot worse if you don't have the operation often. You know, so sometimes pain is, pain can be helpful in some ways. Pain sometimes is inevitable. If it's going to have pain, let it be for the right reason. So doing the inner work is so crucial. Yeah, the um, and two guests that we had who really uh, kind of explored this space for us are uh, uh, Finney and Kelly and Dan Wolgamuth. And 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 Dan Wolgamuth had a uh, an interesting, uh, very very profound quote that he said during our episode, which sums up this point really well. Um, he said that his burn the ship moment, that burn the ship moment, he said, had to happen first in my own soul. In other words, you can't light a match. I mean, matches get lit to burn your ships first in your heart. Um, and you've got to get to that place because right, if if your heart's along for the ride, if your heart is invested, if, if you're, uh, aligned properly in your in your insides and your inner work that's going to help you with here's from the description of the show again that's going to help you make dramatic pivots leaving something safe and familiar uh, behind for something uh, dramatic new life-changing and significant you've got to have the have the the inner change before the outer change can happen and uh, that's something that we learned from both Finney and, and from Dan. You know, of all of the guests, I mean, certainly one of the most uh, thought-provoking guests we had was Dan Wolgamuth, who went from, you know, heading, uh, uh, who went from, uh, you know, very successful career in the uh, corporate world, in uh, GE, GE Capital. Uh, he rose up the ranks and, you know, became a successful, I'm sure, uh, you know, significantly, uh, you know, paid executive um, he was on the board of a uh, you know, large nonprofit uh, Christian ministry, Youth for Christ, and um, 
you know, during that time, he had a, a moment where outside his building, I think it was Kansas City back then, there was a woman that uh, you know, committed suicide and uh, just outside the building. And everybody was like, who, who is this woman? And people were relieved. Oh, it's nobody we know. It's nobody we work with. And Dan was like, well, that's not really the point. It's just it's somebody's you know, a daughter, you know, friend, um, you know, maybe a mother, you know, she was young. It just, um, and really what happened is he talks about burning a ship in his own soul. I mean, he was a person of faith, but he had this attitude of, I'm going to work hard, be successful and hope God blesses my plans. And, you know, which is obviously not the best way to look at it, but, you know, we're all human. Uh, and many of us have been there. And really, he sort of pivoted saying, okay, it's really not about my agenda. It's about a broader agenda. You know, what's in his case, what's God thinking? What's, you know, what's really, it's not just about my agenda. It's about, you know, who I can do it for. And that that shift in thinking was before he left um the executive uh, corporate world and before he went to this nonprofit Christian ministry. But uh, Dan would say that shift in thinking is not, it's not about me. It's about others and about a broader faith perspective. It changed his whole thinking. And he would say there's no way he could be as successful he was in what, 15, 16 years heading up Youth for Christ without that shift. So he really burnt a ship in his own psyche, own thinking, it was incredibly significant. Yeah, and and Finney and Kelly, different story, different details, but he also really had to work on himself. He had to work to get his his head and heart in the game before he could change the game, right? Absolutely. Finian uh, is an Australian. We've had a few Australians on the podcast. Funny that. Um, but, yeah, who, uh, I mean, who would ever think of that? Um, we've had one person from Wisconsin on the podcast, and we've had 4,287 from Australia. But um, who's keeping count? Yeah, and, uh, and I'm sure it'll grow even more. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, he had a uh, sort of challenging uh, upbringing. He had uh, just issues of self-worth and uh, just had this desire to be successful. He... Uh, graduated from a you know, very prestigious military academy at Duntroon, I think it um, uh, was, you know, the equivalent of uh, West Point in the U.S., became an entrepreneur, star of National Geographic documentary. And, you know, he was doing great, but he was the classic executive, you know, go, you know, Mark three and all systems uh, going without doing any inner work. Let's stuff it. Let's not deal with the inner stuff. Let's just keep going. And eventually it led to, uh, you know, a very difficult divorce and a significant business failure in his life. He just hit like this brick wall that caused him to do some inner work. And now he's, you know, very focused on, um, on others, uh, helping them, uh, others uh, live with authentic intentionality and purpose and choice. Uh, but, you know, he made this decision after that divorce saying, you know, I just can't keep going like this because he realized if you don't deal with the inner work, the chances of more business failures would have been, we didn't ask him this, we could have, would have been extremely high because he was in a bad place, understandably, after a difficult divorce, 
uh, maybe some of what he went through was coming bubbling up to the surface. Without doing the inner work, I think failure was probably in relationships and businesses probably uh, likely. So he was very courageous and said, okay, you know what? I, um, I've got to do the inner work to figure out what's going on there. Why am I angry, bitter? Uh, why have, you know, I got to deal with this stuff from my upbringing and my life. Otherwise, I can't help anybody. I can't move forward. So that was a very courageous decision. We are, listener, three-fifths of the way through the blog points that uh, our new blog at beyondthecrucible.com. Um, I'll review them now just to sort of level set us. Um, uh, point one uh, of how uh, some truths you can learn to apply to whether you should burn your ships, how you should burn your ships, what did that look like for you? One is beware of toxic persistence. Two is to uh, lean into your passion. Three is to do the inner work. Before we get to four, keep listening because in a, in, in a few minutes, uh, 10 minutes or so, we're going to um, talk about how you can um, get one-on-one coaching from Warwick to help you navigate your journey to second act significance. And a lot of these folks here uh, have achieved second act significance. That's really kind of the burning the ships moment was about achieving second act significance. So stay tuned because we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about point four of these five truths. And that is you don't need all the details at the start if you have the direction. It, it seems so simple. And yet a lot of people think, right, if I'm going to do something as drastic as burn my ships, as make that pivot, I've got to have Every step figured out of exactly, I've got to have the business plan all made, all figured out and all done. And that's not a bad thing to do, but it's not absolutely necessary in every situation. And the guest who really sticks out for us there, Dante Wilburn, who's uh, the title of his episode is, is, is perhaps my favorite, um, from drug dealer to entrepreneur and mentor. That's Dante's burn the ship's journey. And he really exemplifies this point of, you don't have to know all the details at the start as long as you know the direction you want to head, right? Absolutely. Uh, he was a, he's a fascinating guy, Dante Wilburn. Um, kind of grew up in a setting where without that much money um, in Indiana and in high school, like a lot of kids, he wanted to be successful. So we asked a buddy of his, man, it looks like he got new shoes. looks like he got a, you know, more than pocket money. How'd you do this? Selling drugs. Really? You got this selling drugs? Wow, maybe I should think about that too, because I'd like some nice shoes and some, you know, extra money and be able to throw some parties. And so uh, he went down that route and he was pretty successful. He's an entrepreneur and and did his job well uh, in that sense. He, you know, got to a point where, with some other, you know, drug uh, dealers, uh, it sort of all went down and went uh, very bad, and uh, could easily have been killed uh, that one evening, and what ended up being arrested. And he um, found uh, faith in this process and had begun to go, you know, back to. Uh, Purdue was getting like, you know, straight A's and going to church. So his pastor was there and 
he had a great transcript from college and he was in front of the judge. And the judge could have easily thrown the book at Dante Wilborn. Right. But instead of throwing the book and giving him 20, 30, 40 years like he'd done to probably several other people, maybe even that day, he showed him grace. He saw that there was potential. He said, I'm going to give you one shot. And he realized, like, if he blew that shot, he'd be back in his courtroom pretty soon and the book could get thrown at him. So um, he gave him that grace and he ended up uh, doing some auto-detailing. And without this big vision of, oh, I'm going to be this massive million-dollar business and what have you, just I just want to get good grades and, you know, stay clean, if you will, and, uh, you know, focus on my faith and, yeah, you know, uh, getting some money, you know, washing some cars at a detailing shop. Well, that ended up growing into a whole uh, auto-detailing business with a couple operations in different parts of Indiana and helping to buy a, um, uh, a complex uh, that helps, uh, you know, kids, a sports complex, helps, you know, uh, kids have a place to play sports. Uh, but the original vision wasn't to have this massive business. It was, let me stay out of jail, right. let me stay clean, let me not get before this judge again, um, let me focus on my faith and let me just have a job. It was pretty simple in that sense, you know, very straightforward. It wasn't this massive vision. Right. And it's it's easy to think of Dante's story as one of, well, he did he really burn the ships? The judge burnt the ships because the judge is the one who, you know, had him under um, house arrest. He had to do work release to, to go to school to work that job that you pointed out. He had washing cars, only job he could get. Um, but Dante did burn ships because he had to make the determination that he wasn't going to go back to that old life. He wasn't going to go back. Again, remember how we described the guests on the show before every episode, at the start of this episode. Guests who've been brave enough to make dramatic pivots. Stop there. End point, you know, exclamation point. Dante Wilburn made a dramatic pivot. He could have gone back to the old life. And he said something in that episode, Warwick, that is, um, we say a lot at Beyond the Crucible, when we talk about overcoming your worst days, Dante said this, um, I know what change looks like because I had to do it myself. He says, he's talking about his mentoring of the, of the young uh, men and women who work for him at his auto detailing business, which he now owns. I found that my darkest time was the beginning of my best times. That's the, that's the second half of the pivot, right? You don't want to go back to the bad thing. You stick in the, in the challenging time, and then you pivot into this place where that dark time now becomes the launch pad for your life of significance. That, was, that to me, was the, was the beautiful part of Dante's story. One of the most important lessons for those, and you talked about this, for those that are pivoting from their first act to their second act, you know, most people in business, and so I'm the same way, they want a five-year plan, they want a Gantt chart with, you know, how much is each right. item cost, who's going to be on the team, what's the market analysis, competitive analysis, how's the economy doing, all of those are good things. But, you know, you can't typically figure out a 5, 10, 15, 20, 30-year life plan and follow it and like, yep, I hit every, every benchmark like clockwork. That's, that was awesome. Right. Life is not like that. And in, in my own case, which I talked about before, when I left the aviation services company, 
I didn't have this big vision of Beyond the Crucible and a podcast and a book and social media and speaking. It was, I want to do something different. And there's something about coaching that I'd like to explore. I'd like to go to a coaching conference and just check it out, see what it's like. That was the extent of my vision. I want to do something more. I want to be more who God made me to be. Um, I want to use my skills in some life-affirming way. And let's check out coaching. I didn't have any big vision then. I had no clue what was to happen. There's no, and I'm a planner. There's no possible way I could have foreseen what was to come. I just knew that first, that right first next step is, let's go to that coaching conference in Denver in 2003 and uh, explore it. That was the vision at the time. Yeah, and and and, and it's a it, it proves the point that we made here. You don't need all the details at the start. You just need to have the direction you want to go in. And that can be exciting. That can be all you need to strike the match, set those ships on fire. The fifth point is interesting because we realized this this uh, truth work as we were in the midst of this. This is a, this was eight eight episodes prior to this one. Um, we're in the middle of doing that, and we realized, hey, wait a minute, we're going through our own burn the ships moment here a little bit um, at at what was then crucible leadership and is now beyond the crucible. And that is the, the pivot point that we're going to talk about here. And that is point five is that little ships count too. you know, a little fire can keep you warm. Um, you don't need to, to destroy an armada. You, you can simply take a little ship and that's what we did. That's what you directed with the change of the organization from crucible leadership to beyond the crucible. Unpack that a little bit about how that that small bit of of ship ignition was a, was actually uh, a brave pivot. Uh, it was a pivot, um, but not a complete change of course for sure. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting point. Um, and one of the lessons I've learned through that experience, of changing from crucible leadership to beyond the crucible is visions can grow, they can evolve, they can reform, they can refocus, they can be refined. And that's good. I just, for me, uh, that talk in church in 2008 that led to writing the book, uh, Crucible Leadership Embrace Your Trial to Lead a Life of Significance, it was how can I use my story and uh, what I went through to help others? And so, uh, originally, if you'd asked me back then and a few years ago, it's like, well, I've got a passion for leadership. Not so much that I am you know, want to be this business executive, but I had this passion that if uh, businesses and organizations are led well, that will create a culture where people can feel affirmed, motivated, uh, feel worthwhile, that their voices are heard, they feel seen. And that not only will that produce better products, I mean, if you have a whole bunch of employees that love love where where you're going and hopefully you're on the same page, all things being equal, you'll do well. So I had this thought, and you know, a lot of my book, uh, or part of it anyway, is about different themes of leadership. I have chapters on organizational leadership and listening to a broader group of people and getting advice from a few, how you get vision, how you get people on the same page, a lot of leadership stuff. Not all leadership, but a lot of leadership stuff. And so we we began Crucible Leadership a number of years ago with 
this sense of, we, we talked about leading at all levels, you know, from the ballroom to the living room. But you a lot of leadership. Up with that line? <laughs> a very bright <laughs> fellow named Gary Schneeberger, <laughs> co-host of the show. Shameless, shameless. Sorry. <laughs> all good, all good. But then we had a pivot because as we did this podcast, we were telling stories of people who had crucibles from physical challenges, paraplegics, quadriplegics, people who had been abused, business failure. I mean, some people who'd made significant mistakes, uh, others who, you know, terrible things were done to them. We, we kept coming up with this phrase that you're not defined by your worst day. And it became very personal, it became less, even when we were interviewing leaders, it became less about leadership and more about how do you change your perspective? How do you pivot? When we talked to leaders like Dan Wilgermuth, who you know led this large faith-based nonprofit for many years, uh, Youth for Christ, or uh, Mike Beckham, who founded and leads Simple Modern, a company that makes uh, flask and water bottles, it became less about, so tell me the five points about how to make a business successful, lead a large nonprofit. It became more, how did you pivot? You know, how did your thinking change? It became more about the story and the heart. Right. And so um, we realized Crucible Leadership was just a name that um, had a place, but really beyond the Crucible, it was more about inspirational, uh, self-help, motivation to help inspire and equip people to go from their worst day uh, to a life that they've always that they you know always dreamed of a life affirming message uh, that you're not defined by your worst day, but you can lead a life of significance, a life on purpose, dedicated to serving others. So it really shifted from from leadership to a really more inspirational message. But just to go back for a second, the the passion and the underlying values didn't shift. We were always right. about helping people. We were always about helping people get beyond their worst day. We we're always about helping people lead a life of significance. But it became less about organizational leadership and leaders per se, and more about helping everybody bounce back from their worst day to lead a life of significance. So it was, it wasn't a change exactly admission it was a refining of the vision and what we do it was a refocusing the line in the blog um here is um the shift in names is is not a pivot from our mission and vision but an adjustment we sparked up some boats but not our biggest vessels and not to sail to a completely different destination. But the, the fact of the matter is we did light some vessels. It, 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 it's still igniting ships. Those small ships matter too as you're navigating your way through life. Speaking of navigating your way through life, listener, we've arrived at the point that I've been teasing this entire episode. And that is um, uh, the opportunity for you to be coached by the man uh, over my left shoulder. Uh, no, not the crane over Warwick's left shoulder. The man over my left shoulder is uh, Warwick <laughs> in the Beyond the Crucible logo for the podcast. But um, we've created this uh, this this tool, this e-course, um, several months ago, 
um, that is designed to take you from, is this all there is in your life? Thinking that to, this is all I've ever wanted. It's not a painting class at parks and rec, right? I mean, there's, there's some, some real work that goes into this. There's some real thought work that goes into this. There's, there's, it's, it's not by any means, um, exhausting, but it is exhaustive in the sense of, of what you learn and what you can apply to your life moving forward in the context of this conversation, burning one ship to board a new ship. Um, and one of the things that we have realized that Warwick has realized, and I'm going to let him speak for himself in a minute here. Once I set this up is that taking that journey, going from this ship, that you've just set on fire into this new ship and charting a course to get to that second act of significance is a journey that can be easier to navigate with assistance. We are as part of the second, as part of the discover your second act significance series, Warwick has opened up um, a few slots of one-on-one coaching with him to help you go through that course. And there are only a couple of those left, right, Warwick? But talk a little bit about, um, uh, and I'll tell you, a listener, how you can go find out more about it um, uh, online. But tell them, Warwick, a little bit about why it's important first to, to have a to have a coach going through that course as they, in the context of this discussion, burn one ship and board a new one. Why is it important for the Discover Your Second Act significance to have the help of a coach going through it. Having an executive coach come alongside you can really help you process and just be your right-hand person each step of the way to help you um, go through this course. So really, I found in my own life, uh, you know, coaching is critical. I had an executive coach for, for many years as I was starting my coaching practice and I think she even spoke about maybe you'll write a book one day. And I, this is before 2008, my talk in church. I said, ah, I can't see that. I think I'm going to do that. Uh-huh. No, I'm not going to write a book because it would be self-serving. And yeah, I was right. They were wrong. It would be kind of lame. But that seed was plotted. And, uh, you know, I like to think that I'm a relatively fearful, anxious person in some ways. So I need help. You know, whether, I mean, it's coaching. I have a team at work. I have Blessed to have a wonderful, uh, you know, wife of over thirty years. So, but in the context of the second act significance, it is extremely helpful to have a coach come alongside you to help you figure out, okay, what is my dream and why do I feel stuck? I mean, I know I feel stuck. I hate where I'm in this cubicle, but I'm having trouble articulating why I feel stuck. Still less. What does not being stuck look like? And what are some inklings of a vision? Having a coach can help you process uh, and greatly turbocharge your ability to um, to get there. It's sort of like um, it's it's not easy to figure out your, your vision. Think of like making bread. I'm not much of a baker. Try making bread without yeast. It's not going to rise very far. You need right. help. You need an, an extra ingredient to help you... Uh, lead the life you've always wanted to lead. So coaching, I think I've found in my own life has been critical and very invaluable and it can greatly enhance your chance of um, uh, just having this e-course take your whole life and career and uh, business 
thinking to, to a whole other level. It can really be a, a massive help. Yeah, and and you heard, listener, the testimony from Warwick himself about the, the benefits of a coach. He His coach said, maybe someday you'll write a book, and he laughed. He didn't think it was possible. That's the benefit of having a coach alongside you can inspire you to think about the things, to dream of the things that you don't dare dream of. Warwick did not dare dream of writing a book. His coach brought it up and somewhere a seed was planted and he walked that out. And lo and behold, the book's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, and the other thing about this, I think that's going to be really helpful is Warwick designed the Discover Your Second Act Significance course. So what we're talking about here is discovering your second act significance with a first class guide. That's the offer being made here by having Warwick coach you one-on-one -on -one as you go through this class. So before we ask any more questions of, of Warwick about it, let me tell you where you can go to find out more details about this offer. Um, and again, there are only a couple spots left, so act quickly, as they say in the TV commercials. You can go to beyondthecrucible.com forward slash coaching to look at that offer, find out about it. And if you want to apply for it, if you want to sign up for it, do it quickly, as I said, because there's only two spots left. And as they also say on the commercial, they're going fast. So um, as we sort of get into landing the plane here, Warwick, why are you so passionate about coaching in general? Why are you so passionate about helping? This turbocharges you, I think, this idea of being able to coach people through the Second Act Significance course because you put so much of you into the course. You've put so much of you into Beyond the Crucible. Now here's your chance to have uh, have your road meet the rubber of what they're doing. And I think it's just a perfect kind of marriage. Why are you so passionate about this stuff? Yeah, I mean... I'd say broadly, I'm passionate about Beyond the Crucible because we say this a lot. I don't want people's worst day to define them. I want people to lead lives of uh, of hope, of of worth. I want people to feel worthy, and you know, certainly the idea of feeling sense of self worth is a battle for for many people, far more than you would think. I want people to lead lives where they're contributing to society and the world lives of significance, as we say, lives on purpose dedicated to serving others. And so, you know, we've designed an e-course here, a Discover Your Second Act of Significance, to really help you, you know, go from, is this all there is, to this is, this is all I've ever wanted. We want you to be able to shift from, um, from your crucible, uh, or in this case, your, your cubicle, to um, a life that you uh, that you love, and it just it absolutely helps to have somebody come alongside you. You know, in corporate America now, there are coaches in most large corporations, internal coaches. They have uh, outside coaches, often for senior executives. And folks that are head of corporate human resources and many companies, they know the training is very valuable. But training with coaching can uh, take your training to a whole other level. Coaching helps to cement the knowledge. So we believe this e-course is very valuable. But, you know, coupling this, this e-course with coaching, the value you will get from the course is, I don't know if it's two, three, five, ten times it's many, and the coach, 
the, the course itself is very valuable. But you combine it with coaching, it takes that value to a whole other level because it increases your ability to learn and importantly, put the learning into action with a plan, you know, maybe, you know, not going to have a 20-year plan. We already talked about that. But with an idea of what are those next steps? Where do I begin? And once you begin, as we said earlier, once you begin those steps and you see some fruition come, you get that flywheel of hope that we talked about. And that flywheel of hope can keep you motivated, keep you moving forward. Uh, so the hardest part is often starting the starter motor, right? starting those first few cranks of the engine. And that's what really coaching is about, is understanding where you are, why you feel stuck, and how you move beyond feeling stuck to lead a, a life you've, you've always dreamed of, a life of significance, a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. Um, um, just feel a great degree of passion about um, Beyond the Crucible, this e-course, and helping people move from, is this all there is, to this is all I've ever wanted. That's what we're trying to do with the e-course and with the coaching. And I think uh, coaching can greatly help your ability to get there. Yeah, and, and that's what we tried to do, what we've tried to do with the series, Burn the Ships, um, to encourage you how other people have done it, to give you the, the courage to do it yourself. And, uh, you know, let me pull together all the balloon strings of what we've been talking about here. And that is, you know, maybe you're thinking right now about burning your ships. Maybe you're thinking about burning an oar, right? Um, making a change, taking a leap. We can help you. The Discover Your Second Act Significance eCourse can help you navigate those waters. Um, and even more so, Warwick's coaching can help you get there much more robustly. So the offer is take discover your second act significance with a first class coach the guy who who helped design it who's it was the brainchild of warwick um, and i'll leave all of that only to say this again you can find out more about your opportunity to have warwick coach you through this course by going to beyondthecrucible.com forward slash coaching um warwick um, we always wrap up these episodes where we where we talk about a blog with some reflection questions that listeners can um, ask themselves as they as they ponder um, what they've learned in this episode. Remember, these are five points that we've talked about. I'm going to see if I get my notes in order here so I can tell you the points again. Uh, things that can help you navigate a burning the ships moment. One is beware of toxic persistence. Two is lean into your passion. Three is do the inner work. Four is you don't need all the details at the start, just the direction if you have it. And five is little ships count two. And here's the reflections uh, to sort of close our time here. Number one, can you think of a time when you practiced toxic persistence? What was the result and how might it have turned out differently if you'd burned your ships at that moment? That's question one. Question two, when have you charted a new course without having the exact destination fully formed? How did it turn out? Do you consider it looking back a wise move? Why or why not? Reflect on that as you process through um, your pursuit of maybe burning your own ships. 
And then the third point is consider what you're passionate about. Are you leaning into those passions or is it time to get the matches? Warwick, I'll give you the last word before I close this up. Yeah. Um, this has been a great series, uh, Burn the Ships. Life can get overwhelming. I think really the key point is you've got to make that decision that I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not mm. going to just sit here in my cubicle and wallow and be frustrated saying, well, you know what? Retirement will come in the next 20, 30, 40 years and then I can be on the beach, play golf, and life will be better then. That's one approach. It's not approach, I'm not against retirement or enjoying life and all, but that's that concept of I'm just going to, you know, life is not meant to be easy and I'm just going to, you know, suck it up and, you know, eventually retirement will come or what have you. In the context of, you know, burn the ships and second act significance, you want to make a choice saying, you know what, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to uh, find and pivot to a life that I've always dreamed of. I want to do something that I'm passionate about. Um, I'm not going to just sit here feeling stifled, micromanaged, controlled. Who cares what I do? I'm not using my gifting. I'm not passionate about it. it it's against my values and beliefs. There can be you know, a variety of ways that leads to your sense of discontent and frustration, which can be from mild frustration to immense frustration. There's a spectrum of frustrations of feeling stuck. And so, you know, there's a lot of lessons from the series uh, that we've had from our guests, from the e-course. And obviously, you know, we like to think the coaching around the e-course. So if today is the day that you're feeling stuck and frustrated, make a choice to say, I am not taking it one more day. I'm going to make a choice, a positive decision to move forward and figure out a way of getting unstuck. And between the resources we have in the series, the e-course, coaching, we're here to help you get unstuck. We're here to help you figure out what does it mean to say, I'm not taking it anymore. What does it mean to move out of the pit of frustration in this case to a direction that leads to a life you've always dreamed of. We're here to come alongside you and help you uh, from the e-course to coaching to the series. So uh, if today's the day where you're feeling immensely frustrated, today's your cubicle moment, there can be a better life. Just make a decision to say, I'm not taking it anymore and I'm going to move forward uh, in a better direction that's going to be better for me, better for my family and better for others. Well, if this microphone didn't cost a few hundred dollars, I would drop it because that was a mic drop moment that Warwick had right there. Um, I'll end by saying this. Um, Join us next week as we talk again about how you can turn your tragedies into triumphs, how your worst day doesn't have to define you, how if you learn the lessons of your crucible and you apply them as you move forward, that crucible experience can be the launching pad. It's not the worst day of your life. It can be a launching pad to the best day of your life, the best time of your life, because where it leads is to a life of significance. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something from it, we invite you to engage more deeply with those of us at Beyond the Crucible. Visit our website, beyondthecrucible.com, to explore a plethora of offerings to help you transform what's been broken into breakthrough. 
A great place to start? Our free online assessment, which will help you pinpoint where you are on your journey beyond your crucible and to chart a course forward. See you next week.